Ruth chapter 3 is the text before us this morning. And um, in your bulletin, there's an outline. I encourage you to locate that as well and follow along and take notes. Um, and uh, the goal is to fellowship, obviously, with, with, with Christ. So Ruth chapter 3 is what we're on. I'm going to read 1 through 13 of, the, uh, of this morning. And uh, this is God's word. Let's stand out of reverence and respect for the reading of God's word. Thus says the Lord. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? And now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maid you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make for yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall uh, um, go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down he went uh, to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and covered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said to her, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to me better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in this city know that you are a woman of excellence. And now it is true. I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night when morning comes. If he, still, if he will uh, redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if, if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will uh, I'll redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Thus far, the reading of, of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given us now to bow before you and, and uh, um, spend time uh, fellowshipping with you this morning through your word. Lord, we know that the medium um, is foolishness. The, through the foolishness of preaching, you are going to feed us this day. But that means, oh Lord, we know that your spirit has to be operative. So Lord Jesus, God our Father, send forth your spirit to rest upon us, to um, illumine our eyes and our hearts, and that we might make, um, that Lord, you might make these words genuine food to our souls. Bless the preaching of your word towards that end, we pray, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> we have been um, studying this last section of Ruth, and this last section, chapter 3 and 4, revolves around the theme of redemption. Now, I referenced last week that there's primary two words in the Bible, in the Old Testament, for redemption. The first one is uh, padah, 
And uh, that refers to when you think of salvation, when you think of um, the redemption from sin, that's the word we would use. It, spe- it speaks of vertical redemption. There's, a, there's another word that's not in your bulletin, which is um, a, a kafar, which is where we get the word um, 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 atonement. And uh, I'm not accounting that. But this word, it, this is, uh, padah is the vertical word that we speak about when we talk about being saved, being redeemed. The other word is ga'al, and that's the, that's the horizontal it's the responsibility that um, we have towards one another. In the Old Testament, it encompassed the idea of a kinsman redeemer as well as the leveret marriage. Okay, So it's the horizontal consequence, responsibility that comes because of the vertical, because of padah. Right? So um, because of that, we see in the, in the horizontal... Some of the elements, glorious elements of of the vertical. Yet there's more. For last week, I referenced to you that Ruth is but the shadow of the redeeming grace of Christ. So the redemption we see here is but a shadow. It's a picture of what we see in Jesus Christ. Um, uh, Duguid wrote uh, uh, these words. The real love story in this book is not about Ruth or Boaz and and Ruth, though. The real love story is behind the scenes. It's the love of God for his straying sheep. On what basis does he say that? On what basis do we say that? It's, It's based upon the teaching that Christ gave in the New Testament. For example, Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. Remember what we read there? I read it last week. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, and that would mean the entire Old Testament, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all of the scriptures. So, so he explained to these disciples how he is the, uh, is the object, the focus of everything in the Old Testament. John 5, 39, speaking of the Jews of his day, Christ said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's these that bear reference to me. And just a couple verses later, he said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote of me. So we recognize that Jesus Christ, his cross, his, his a redeeming work, his grace towers so high that it casts its shadow throughout the entire Bible, well into the Old, Old uh, Testament. Just like a, a, a saturated ground, which looks like it's not wet, it's just there. To stand on it, if you stand on saturated ground, uh, saturated with water, water will puddle around your, your feet. Well, that's the Old Testament. When we read that um, um, a God's Word Old Testament uh, passage, you see Christ. You see his grace puddling up in every single story, emerging in every single story. And we see that most certainly with Ruth. As Ruth gives us the horizontal redemption that was taking place at this time, the Leverett marriage, kinsman, a redeemer, um, we see that this is but a shadow. If we look through this account at the, at the redemption of Jesus Christ, Wow, what a wonderful blessing. And that's what we've been been doing. So last week we began, we looked at the objective of the redemption that we read here about in Ruth. And that objection or that objective was verse one, security. 
security, right? We saw that that word is synonymous with Shabbat, both of which speak of the security, the resulting peace that comes from a saving relationship with Christ. So Naomi's desire was that horizontal security. But brothers and sisters, what she wanted for Ruth was everything we've got in Christ this day, right? And so um, we need not look to the horizontal. We look to God. We look uh, to Christ, right? Then we looked uh, from there. We then began looking at the um, pre-requirements of the redemption that Ruth was seeking or that Naomi was seeking for Ruth. And the first one was cleansing, right? Verse 2 and 3. Verse 3a, we read, Wash yourself, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes. Naomi is advising Ruth because, because uh, together they are divining that or whatever, working so that Ruth would marry Boaz. Or at least Ruth would come to him and, and say, I am willing to be wed by you if you are willing, right? So the first thing she says for, her, for Ruth to enjoy this redemption was clean yourself up. Now, when we look through this passage at the redemption of Jesus Christ, we see it's just the exact opposite. Christ, we're, with us, we don't clean ourselves up for God to accept us. No, or rather, we come warts and all, and God cleanses us. He washes us, not ourselves. Titus chapter 3, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. So cleansing, God cleanses us. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear this because natural our religion is the, is the opposite of this. And by natural, I don't mean the same word as natural law or natural uh, revelation, if you know what that means. By natural, I simply mean that which, which bubbles up naturally as a fallen being, as someone in Romans 1 fleeing uh, from God. Natural, our religion in that context believes that, that for God to um, accept us, you have to wash yourself you got to clean yourself up. And thus, brothers and sisters, we look through this at Christ, and we are, one, encouraged, and two, exhorted. Brothers and sisters, you can't clean yourself up. All of our righteous deeds are filthy garments, Isaiah 64, right? Nothing we do, the best we could be, the best of the best, is filthy garments. So, we, so, so God must cleanse us. And once he's cleansed us, there's nothing we can do to remain clean. But brothers and sisters, you know that religion, because of our natural, our fallenness, we want to weave into the gospel um, all kinds of acts and duties and responsibilities. Do these things. If you sin, do these things. Clean yourself up, and God will once again accept you. You can cooperate with God by what you do in the cleansing. Cleanse yourself, and once you've cleansed yourself, God then will indeed go the rest of the way. Brothers and sisters, that's completely opposite. Okay? If you are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, God accepts you this day, warts and all. In fact, what God is doing in your life is transforming you and, and, and tempering you and growing us in grace 
um, that we might know him, love him, and serve him. But it's not what we do. It's all what Christ has done. Then with that, we saw another pre-requirement um, and appeal. Verse 4, I'm going to read verse uh, 7. So she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And then we'll read in verse um, 9. And he said, who are you? And, and she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid. In essence, Ruth here is saying, if you're willing, I want to wed you. She's making an appeal. Um, and that was necessary for her in this situation, as we'll see here in a little bit, okay? Boaz is an older guy. He's a single guy. Maybe he was single because, well, obviously in God's providence, he wanted to marry Ruth. But maybe he was single up and through all that time because he was a little nerdy. Who knows? But it was necessary for Ruth to go and say, I'm willing. Marry me. Right? Well, when we look through this... To the redemption of Jesus Christ, we see there's an element of appeal in our walk with God that's necessary, right? Having been regenerated, washed through the regenerating and renewing grace of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3. Having been regenerated, the call of Scripture now is for us to call upon the Lord, right? And that's not something you do just for salvation, for justification. That's something we do for all of our salvific life, right? We do it at all times. And so scripture encourages over and over to call upon the Lord. For example, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ultimately, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Christ and his righteousness. They will be satisfied. Or, or the Old Testament equivalent, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, my Lord. Right? Brothers and sisters, part of our redemption is now this love relationship where we as God's bride say, God, I want you. Please open my eyes. Let me follow you. Let me serve you. Let me know you. Humble me. Grow me. Grace me. It's the appeal. The third pre-requirement for Ruth was trust. Right? After Naomi gave her all this instruction, verse 5, Ruth said, and she said to, uh, to her, all that you say I will do. It sounds like Exodus 24. God's word was preached on this covenant renewal time, and what was the people's response? All that the Lord has said, we will do. That's an element of trust, brothers and sisters. We're going to follow God. And, then, and thus, later at the end of the chapter, following Ruth's report of what happened that night, um, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter uh, turns out. Wait. In essence, wait upon the Lord. Um, now, again, we look through this to Christ, and we realize, brothers and sisters, our redemption involves so much trust, so much reliance, so much of a willingness to say, God, I don't understand, but I trust that you are wise. I trust that you are good, and I trust that you are sovereign. Those three things mean that regardless of what's going on in my life, I'm going to entrust my soul to you. And you see that repeated throughout Scripture. 2 Timothy 1, Paul wrote, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced... That he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? That's a part of our redemption. This heart that says, I am giving my life to Christ, not simply for forgiveness, but I'm giving my life to Christ because to whom shall we go? You alone have the words 
of eternal life, right? First um, Peter 4, Therefore let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Brothers and sisters, this is in our flesh, not natural, and therefore it's something we need to train ourselves with. Something that you and I need to daily go, what am I trusting? What is my, my gut response when it comes to the trials and difficulties of life? Do I pull on my bootstraps? Do I hunker down and work harder? Or do I cry out to God? As disciples of your soul, disciple your soul. And let us be a people who, who, who get into the, the habit of trusting God and trusting our souls to God on a moment-by-moment basis. So that's the um, objective. That's the pre-requirements. Now, this morning, let's dive back into this text and pick up a third. Notice a third element to the shadow of Christ in the redeeming grace of Ruth. Notice with me verse 10. It involves abundant blessing. Then he, Boaz, said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. The word for blessing here is barak. It comes from barak or barak. And barak is the word for the knee. So barak was a word that was, um, um, came from the idea of when someone is lesser, their job, their responsibility culturally was to get on their knee, to bow the knee before someone greater. It speaks of someone who is inferior, who does more than just simply bow the knee, but that is a statement of, I will follow you. I will serve you. I will meet your will. I will do your will. I'll serve you on your terms with regards to your glory and, and your honor. That's the idea behind bless. So when we read in the Psalm, Psalm 134, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. We always take that. Whether it just means worship. Worship's the overflow. It begins by bowing the knee before God. I accept your will, your providence, your sacrifice, your redemption, your grace, your mercy. This is a hard one, brothers and sisters, because the fall, if it teaches anything, it teaches many things. But if it teaches anything, it teaches us that mankind loves autonomy. We love it. We're saved, but we want to be on our own. We want to call the shots. We want to do what we want. In fact, one of the greatest impositions you can give to a person is not taking their money. It's not, it's, name it, it is um, um, uh, stopping them, taking their autonomy, right? Um, um, Enslaving them. Wow, why? Because we are autonomous beings. And brothers and sisters, the word blesses for us giving up that autonomy, bowing the knee before God and saying, God, you are glorious. I am not. Your will is glorious, not mine. Your will is what I'm living for. I will serve you, love you, honor you. You must increase. I will decrease. That's the idea behind blessed. Psalm 103.1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy character. Bow before his holy character and give him that which is his due. That's the idea. And that is why when this word, Barak, is used of God towards man, if you're not saying amazing grace, or if that, if that phrase doesn't come to your mind, you're not listening. This same exact word, which refers to 
giving deference. It's an act of humiliation where a person gives deference to someone else. Do you understand when it says that God blesses man? And the Bible says that throughout Scripture and even here. May the Lord bless you, right? Um, may you be blessed of the Lord. That means that God, for God to bless, God has to humble himself. Humble himself and give deference to your weaknesses, your needs, your salvation, your forgiveness. I mean, what was the cross all about? Was it not God giving deference to sinners by sacrificing his son? The whole theme of Christianity, brothers and sisters, can be summarized with one word. Condescension. You know that, right? All false religion is about ascension. Right? We are seeking Baalism. We're seeking to work our way up unto God. Come up to the heights of his throne. When the, the, the fundamental characteristic of Christianity is God condescending, coming down to our level, meeting us where we are, and lifting us up to his own. Okay? That's the condescending grace of God. That's the word bless. For God to bless you or me, he has to condescend. Not only does he have to humble himself to see creation, says the, the, the Psalter, to see any part of the, uni- of the universe, created universe, but God has to condescend to bless. That's what his blessings are. Okay, It's God's act of condescension. Wow. Now, it's amazing to me. I think there's every one of us in this room are going to have, have and will continue to go through those times where we feel like we're not blessed of God. I think most here would say, you know, if someone asked you, are you blessed of God? Oh, am I ever blessed? But aren't there those times when you and I go, because it's been a difficult go, we feel like we're pick, being picked on by God and, and God's not blessing us. He's doing the exact opposite. He seems to be cursing us. He seems to be, be uh, thwarting everything that we want. God, what are you doing? And at that moment, we don't feel blessed. We feel the object of, of, of God's ire or anger. That's what we think. And brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. That's simply because you don't define the word blessing right. Understand a when God blesses you and me, he is not, that blessing is not related to life on this earth. By definition, the blessings of the Lord are, are, are determined by eternity. You're filling the blank there. Any and all blessings from the Lord has one end in mind, making us fit for an eternity in Christ's presence. And that is why so many people in the Bible Praise God for the trials. Consider all joy, uh, uh, James 1. When you, when you um, 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 encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Why would you count all joy? Because you see this as a blessing. This is going to enable you to understand, know, love, and serve Christ in the new heavens and the new earth so much better beginning on this side of the grave. That's what we trust. Last point. That's what we're trusting when it comes to God. And that's the word blessing. Ephesians 1, 3, listen to it. God has blessed us. I'll just read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So when we talk about, and it involves abundant blessing, brothers and sisters, 
you have received in Christ every blessing, or better yet, every blessing of God is available to you and me. In fact, when I read Ephesians 1, this is the image that comes uh, to my mind. Imagine three Christians. One is struggling because they can't, they can't make it financially. Another one is struggling because of their ill health. Another one's struggling because they just lost a loved one. Three Christians approaching a warehouse the size of Russia, multi-level, multi-storied. And, that, and on that warehouse is labeled the blessings of God. Now, as they approach, Jesus Christ uh, comes out in this massive door. Think of, of the Fellowship of the Rings and that large you know, you know, gate opening up. This massive door opens up um, and Christ steps out. And as these three come to him, really having something to say, God, Lord, I got, I've got something to talk to you about. I've got something, I've got a, whatever, it's, uh, something to pick with you. How's that, how's that go? All uh, right, I've got a, um, how's it go? I got a bone to pick with you. Thank you very much. Right? Um, Christ comes out. And the first words out of Christ's mouth are, ask, and it will be given to, uh, to you. Ask anything in this building. Seek it out. If you want to go inside, go inside. You're going to find it. Knock. Go inside. There's multiple rooms. Knock on any door, and that door will be open to you. Right? The blessings of God, he gives us all to us. But the first one says, I've got a bone, Lord. I look at my life on this earth and it's been rough. I don't have enough money. Christ just said, go inside. Not get money. The blessings are all determined by eternity. Right? If you don't need money, will we need money in going? No, then you don't need it here. It's a convenience here, but you don't need it here. The other one, my ill, Ill health, Lord, I got a bone to pick with you. I'm not, I'm not doing well. Christ says, man, the blessings, they're staring at the earth, but they're standing in front of this glorious blessing. And then the one who lost that loved one, their loved one, they don't see him, was just skipping in the warehouse. And they're going, God, how could you be so mean? We prayed so much. I love the words of J.R. Miller in this context. We are greedy after the world's things and never can get enough of them, but of the real things, the things which will last through eternity, those are by definition what a blessing is. We are satisfied with very little small portions. What do you seek? Asked the master. His hands filled with precious blessings. And we ask for some little thing, some trifle, when we might have glorious fullness of blessing. How very strange it must seem to the angels to see us poor mortals giving our life, our very soul, to get some paltry thing of the earth which will perish a tomorrow, and then not taking the precious spiritual blessings that we might have for the mere asking. Brothers and sisters, when we look through this account, then Boaz said, may the Lord bless, or may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. When we look at this and we look through it into our redemption in Christ, we realize, oh my, oh my, God has condescended to, to meet our needs that will equip us for eternity. Now, will you trust that? Or must you in your autonomy say, that's not enough, God. I must have something horizontal. So the third abundant blessing. Would you notice with me a fourth 
um, element of the redemption we see in Ruth, verse 10b. Then he, Boaz, said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. So the second, or the, the fourth, it's not according. God's, uh, Christ's redemption, Ruth's redemption was not according to earthly desire. We know from Ruth 2 that Boaz is a generation older than, Bo, uh, than Ruth. Okay, notice with me, 2.20. Look in your Bibles. 2.20. The man is our relative. So Ruth or, or Naomi is explaining the importance of Boaz uh, to Ruth. The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. That means kinsman, redeemer. He's our Gaal. Okay, now, in what way was Boaz, how was Boaz, um, um, uh, in terms of their family structure, how was Boaz um, their redeemer? How was he? How, was there, how did he become that? Well, notice with me verse 1. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. That's important. It means either he's a brother or a cousin. A kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So Boaz is not related to Ruth and Naomi through Malon. He's not Malon's cousin, second cousin, third cousin, whatever you might say. Boaz would be her uncle, would have been Malon's uncle. Or some, or pro, and, and you could say a young uncle, fine. You know, Limelech was born early and, and, and Boaz later, but he would have easily have been 20 years older than Ruth. In fact, we see in verse 11, he calls her my daughter, a term of respect, but he could have called her my sister. Um, if they were more peers, you don't call your sister your daughter, right? But he does, which tells us he's older. Which, you know what that means in that day? I mean, ladies, think of it. You're in your 20s. Do you want to marry your, uh, your dad's best friend? You know, most would go, that's gross. I don't want to marry that old guy. You know, he's the next generation up. I don't want to marry that guy. I mean, by the time Ruth would be at this age, she's been married over 10 years, 11 years, right, to Malon. She's probably in her 20s, mid-20s, which means Boaz probably in his mid-40s. And in that day, you know, that's a lot of time difference. So he was not the desired one, culturally speaking. In fact, he's not the one you, that you want to marry at all. But yet... And that's why it strikes out to him. What does he say? He goes, you've shown your last kindness to be better than your first, but not going there. I, 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 can't, be, I can't believe it. Mom always said, you got to get married. And there was no woman who ever wanted to marry me. And here I got this young, beautiful, godly woman who wants to marry me. And he's like, I can't believe it. You want to marry me. And you've shown that, that your kindness towards me, your second kindness is so much more than your first. Brothers, when we look through this, sisters, when we look through this account and we look at Christ, we go, wow, what shocking parallels. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, Christ had no stately form. Now, some interpret that to say because he was being beat up, right? In the context of his passion, of his suffering, Isaiah 53 is of the suffering servant. This is Jesus Christ gotten beat up so bad he has no earthly form. It's just mangled, okay? Um, and that's a possibility and probably is what happened, at the, the cross. But Isaiah 53, 1 through 3 is talking about Christ as a person, not his passion. 
And so we take this, in, so many take it in reference to the fact that he was just a very common guy, a, a, a common person. He didn't stand out in a crowd. He wasn't like King Saul, taller than most, good looking, you know, this genetic freak. He wasn't like Barabbas, who was a person who was an insurrectionist. We know from scripture, an insurrectionist who killed a Roman, da da da. You put all that together, we conclude he was a zealot who was trying to conquer Rome by killing soldiers. And so when, when uh, um, uh, Pilate said, who do you want? You got, uh, you got your choice of saviors, Jesus or Barabbas, who they choose. Barabbas, and what they say about Jesus, kill him, right? Now, if it wasn't his physical looks that make him not desirable, brothers and sisters, how about his message? Remember what First, Peter, uh, what First Corinthians says? But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews as stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Brothers and sisters, Natural religion cannot stand a message of free grace. Can't stand it. Right? They, they must earn their salvation. And so to the Jews, there's no way the Messiah could be crucified. Therefore, he's cursed of God. To the Gentiles, what a joke. Give me a break. Right? And in our day, if it wasn't for his person, it would be because of his message, both of which make Christ undesirable uh, today. In fact, I, I challenge you, go to your secular places of employment and make stand up in the middle of the day and say, I've got an announcement. Everyone quiet down. Listen to me, please. Everyone looks at you. I just want everyone here to know I love Jesus Christ. He is, as, he is more precious to me than my mother and my father. And I will follow him to the end of the world. I guarantee you, they, they, you, no one would say, oh, that's wonderful. That just more power to you. Just keep it up. They're not going to say that, are they? They're going to probably go, you know what? You, you just mix religion with secular. You're fired. Who knows? But isn't that the Savior we've got to the world? He is common, ordinary, in fact, less. There's been millions of saviors throughout the world. Millions. Throughout the history of mankind, Christ is the only Savior who offered free salvation. And they crucified him for it. So what is it that made Boaz appealing to Ruth? Well, it was his character. We look in Scripture. He was, um, he was a man of God. He was kind. He was a man of integrity, Ruth 3, Ruth 2, etc. He was um, uh, this wonderful person, but he also had resources, right? He was generous with those resources, Ruth 2, 15 through 17. It's paralleled with Jesus Christ. Why are you here today? Why do you follow Jesus Christ? Is it because by following him, you get everything you'd, you would ever want in the world? Absolutely not. In fact, many people coming to Christ lose their life. Coming to Christ, you lose your wealth. In Bible times, it was that way. You got kicked out of the guild. So why would you come to Jesus Christ and suffer so much in this world? Because of his person, who he is, his character. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's why you're here following Jesus. Because of he's, he's this, he's this um, according uh, to earthly, a desire, nothing. But when you think of who he is, he's this glorious being. He's the power and the wisdom of God. And then you look at what he gives us. 
John 6, 66, Jesus offended many after he suggested they should eat his flesh metaphorically. And then he said, as a result of this, we read of many disciples withdrew and were not walking with them. And Jesus looked to, do, to his 12 and said, you, you do not want to go away, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is that not what we have in Jesus? That is exactly Boaz, his character, what he offered. God, he, Jesus, his character and what he gives us. The words of eternal life, which means salvation. So fourthly, the redemption we have in Jesus Christ is not according to your earthly desire. Understand that, which means you're not going to win popularity contests because of Jesus. Which means if you're going to share the gospel, you'll probably be persecuted by people. Not everyone, but some people are not going to appreciate that. Understand that at the get-go. So when it happens, you're not shocked. Jesus Christ is not according to earthly desire. Who would want him? When you think of earthly values, autonomy, unbridled passions and lust, who would want a savior who then saves us from all of that without any, anything on our part and then gives us his law to direct us, to protect us from those very same things? No one would want that, right? Notice with me, lastly, it's also lastly, it is willingly given though. Verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear says Boaz, I will do for you whatever you ask for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. You know, I'm going to do whatever you want. Now, does that mean if, if Ruth said, really? Well, there's a guy I want you to assassinate back in Moab. He wasn't nice to my dad. Do you think Boaz would have said, no problem? Right? Or, hey, really? Then make me queen of Israel. Right? I want to be the next, I want to be the first queen. Would he do that? No. So what's, why would he, what's, or what's, what's the context of the context is that she's a woman, of, she's a godly woman. And this is what he's saying is, because you're a godly woman, I trust your desires. You're going to desire what God wants. Therefore, I'll give you whatever you want. Look through this at the redemption you have in Jesus Christ. What, what verse comes to your mind? John 14, 14. If you ask anything... In my name, I will give it to you. God says that. But the qualification is, in my name. In my name means, as Jesus would ask. If you ask the same thing Jesus would ask, that's what it means to, to, to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. You're saying, Lord, this I believe Jesus would pray if he were in this situation. Right? In your character. Ask anything in accordance with my character, and you've got it. Isn't that incredible? Um, Matthew 7, recall Christ's encouragement. Of what man is there among you when, you when your son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone, or if he should ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, a willy. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who's in heaven give you what is good to those who ask him? Brothers and sisters, the fifth element of our redemption is, is that God gives us anything we ask of He'll give it to us, provided we're asking according to the character of God. You say, now, how, does, how can that be? How can God be so bold on that? The answer is because every promise that God has ever promised for you, every blessing he could ever give, do you understand that blessing and that promise is secured by Jesus Christ? Listen to 2 Corinthians 1. As many may, as may be the promises of God, in Christ they are yes. 
Wherefore also by him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Every promise God's ever given, every blessing God's ever promised in Jesus Christ is yes. So if you ask in Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, unto Jesus Christ, anything, God's going to answer that, that prayer. That incredible? You wonder why people, more people don't pray. I read this past week, I was reading a sermon by a gentleman on prayer, and his comment was, you know why prayer is so hard? Because we pray selfishly. All we do is pray about us. Even when we're praying uh, you know, for, uh, for other people, we pray selfishly. We pray, God, do what's, what's in my best interest on this side of the earth. So our prayer life typically revolves around us. The challenge in this sermon was, start praying for your brothers and sisters as what would be best for them in their walk and pray sensitive to where they live, to their struggles and their difficulties. And when you do that, prayer becomes this glorious participation in the outworking of the kingdom of God. And that's incredible. God says, ask in this context. Ask anything. And I'm going to do it. What would that be? God, grow. Grow this brother or sister in your grace. That's an amen in Jesus Christ. God, humble me. Give me a fuller apprehension of you and your mercy and your grace. That's an amen in Jesus Christ. God, Wean me from created glory. Make me someone who would live my life no longer for myself, but I would be a drink offering to my wife and my children and my church and this world and mostly, and mostly you. That's an amen in Jesus Christ. Ask any of those prayers and many more. And the answer is always yes. You say, how, how can it be so? Okay, it's God's will. How can it be so? I want to close with Ephesians 3. Paul wrote to him who is able to, to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. What an incredible verse. God can do more than you can even think today. So our problem is, is that our view of God is too low. Our valuation of what God can do and will do redemptively in us is too low. He does according to um, um, he does exceedingly beyond all that we ask or think, and this is the key phrase: according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. The word "according to" I've referenced this before. If there's a wealthy man, he gave you out of his wealth. How much would he have to give you? Multimillionaire. Bill Gates gave you out of his wealth. How much would he have to, uh, to give you and not be a liar? If he promises to give you out of his wealth, a penny, right? He gave you out of his wealth. But if he gave you according to his wealth, how much would he have to give you? All of it. This text says that God gives us exceeding beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. That power speaks, spoke a word and the universe came to be. That power spoke a word and Lazarus rose from the dead. Brothers and sisters, there's no, nothing stopping God from bringing to pass his redemptive purpose and program in your and my life. You see that beautifully here. My daughter, do not fear. I'll do whatever you ask. I look through this passage of Christ, and I say that's exactly what Jesus Christ says to you this very moment. My daughter, my son, do not fear. In the context of eternity, which is how we define blessing, I will do whatever you ask.
Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And though we haven't finished this passage, we'll pick it up, obviously, Lord, by your grace. But God, thank you for what we've seen. Thank you, Lord, for these five elements which are incredibly encouraging and convicting and endearing to our hearts. The Father, the objective of your redemption is our being at peace with you to the glory and praise of Christ. The requirements, Lord, you wash us. You call us to, to call upon you. You call us to live by reliance and faith in you and your, your word. Then, God, we think of the blessing that you have given to us. And, Lord, we would think that it's minor comparative to the, our neighbors. And, and, oh, Lord, we, you haven't blessed us the way we'd like to be blessed, like with money and wealth and fame and power and jobs and pleasures galore. But, Lord, when we look at Scripture and realize your blessings are all related to the new heavens and the new earth. And they're all related to us growing you. Lord, we're so grateful for the many blessings. Give us grace to have faith, to believe and trust and see and boldly ask in your name for, for great growth and grace. Growth and grace beyond our comprehension. Father, would you be so pleased but to open our eyes and enable us to see those blessings. And then, oh Lord, we, we realize that what we have in you is not something that's going to be desired in this world. But it's, our, it's, the, it's the pearl of great price for us. Thank you, Father, that you and your providence have deigned before the world began to set your love upon us, opening our eyes, that we would say together corporately, we have the greatest pearl, the greatest treasure ever. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for opening our eyes to that. While the world would make a wretched choice and rather starve than come, we, your people, um, have all we could ever ask or hope for in you. And Lord, that brings us lastly to this glorious promise that, uh, Lord, you will give us all that we ask. Um, and uh, Lord, we know it's qualified, but God, thank you. Thank you for being not a stingy God, but a God willing to, to open up the storehouses and give us every blessing which exceeds our ability to ask or even imagine Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in Jesus Christ, that promise already is amen. It's a yes. So we're so grateful, God. Give us the grace to therefore live as your people on this earth. Yes, Lord, as your redeemed people, but therefore, Lord, as soldiers and servants who know that we have a husband who is glorious and great, who has saved us to the utmost. May we ever more love and serve you, we pray in Christ's name.